Hello, everybody. Welcome to SG Debrief. We are a weekly podcast that discusses SG-1, Stargate, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the awesome. I'm your host, Kevin, and with me, my co-host, Jeff. Good evening, everybody. How are you, Jeff? I can tell you I am a little bit sick. Yeah, it seems like everybody's a little under the weather right now. We'll get through it, you know? We'll get through it. I've got a little bit of a cold, and unfortunately, Jeff has the uh, the unfortunate COVID. But we are going to get through it. We're still doing the podcast, and either, even though we might sound a little bit slower and less enthused today, um, we I assure you, we are ready to bust through this episode. Yeah, I am actually very enthused about this episode. It's one I've been looking forward to, so... Oh, uh, well, how have things have been, uh, other than being a little bit under the weather, how are things with you, Jeff? How was your holidays? Holiday was good, you know, got taken very good care of by the family for Christmas, and I think all the kids had a good time. How was your holiday, Kev? Oh, the same. I I had a great time with the kids. Uh, Christmas was always a great time you know you get up early you spend all night wrapping presents for the kids and then you get to see uh the effect that all of those wonderful presents have on them that morning it's pretty great yes i I love i do love those smiles they are some good smiles then you have to realize that all that time you just spent wrapping just took them three seconds to destroy that's true If I was better at rapping, I would definitely care a lot more, but I am one of those people that is absolutely terrible at rapping. I I threatened my wife. If she didn't rap, I was just going to use spray glue and do it myself. That was 10 years ago. I haven't rapped a gift since. All right, Jeff. uh, Should we get into this episode? This is a pretty pretty awesome episode. I I think uh, it was nice to get back to kind of the main story a little bit on this one, right? Um, it's it's got a healthy amount of main storyline and I mean it still introduces other aspects into the series, so that's kind of cool, but I, I think the writers felt that if they didn't start getting back to the main storyline, they were going to start losing people perhaps. There was no continuity between episodes for the most part. Not particularly. I mean, they were very standalone episodes up to this point. Exactly. Well, this this one's a, this title is very easy to figure out. The Knox are actually a race of people, well, humanoids that well, look like they have pulpery growing out of their hair, right? <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I had a uh, I had it as like hay or something, but yeah, pulpery. Yeah, man, I bet they smell great. I you know what with the clothes they wear, the nice pink kind of flowery robes and things like that. Yeah, potpourri. All right, so uh, we'll start in on this episode then, the Knox. Um, so we begin in the gate room this time. Once For once, um, we're not on a forest planet. Not, no, we're on Earth right now. We're on <laughs> Earth. We're in the gate room. Uh, the Stargate is dialing out. General Hammond is showing the Secretary of Defense kind of how we do things. Did you catch his name, by the way? Sure didn't. I had to look it up on IMDb. (laughs) I had to look it up on IMDb that he was even the Secretary of Defense. No, I caught Mr. Secretary a few times, but I was looking for his name, and you're right, it only appears on IMDb. I actually, I got Mr. Secretary, but again, I had to look up that he was the Secretary of Defense. There's lots of secretaries out there, Jeff. I suppose, I suppose, you're absolutely right, but yeah. I'm glad you caught that as well, because I went looking for his name all through the episode. Yeah, they're not very good with names in this episode as uh, as kind of a whole. I mentioned that because it was hard to find everybody's names in this one. Yes, the the Knox in particular, I had a hard time. I think they say the names one. Yes, I, I think uh, you're right on the money there. But let's keep going. All right. So um, they're showing the secret- Secretary of Defense the gate. Uh, the secretary, as he's watching, you know, uh, the date, the gate dial out, they're looking at the event horizon. He asks Carter, he's like, what exactly am I looking at, Carter? And Carter's like, well, you know, she says, says a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo scientific stuff. 
Yeah, sciencey stuff. Sciencey stuff. And he just goes, oh. Like, you know, somebody important who has no idea what the heck she just said would, would do. Yeah. Uh, the secretary does say that the, the current administration is not particularly happy with the progress of the Stargate program. We're going to need a translation there because it's like, well, what wouldn't you be happy of? Uh, immediately, they say that they've been to 19 separate worlds, I believe, at this point. I caught that number as well. It was 19 worlds, and I don't believe we brought anything back other than headaches, actually. That's kind of where the secretary was going, and I think we all sort of knew that's where he was going because, you know, he's the secretary of defense. He's looking for some defense. Well, the current administration was under the impression we would be getting more. Yes. They think that we're going to be bringing back all kinds of laser guns and uh, energy shields and all kinds of awesome stuff to beef up our arsenal against you know, our new threat. Well, that's when it comes, that's when the main story comes back into play because it gets brought up that what exactly have you brought that could defend us against the go-out? So it is a thought in the U.S. government's head that this is out there. So that's just a minor nook of how the storyline gets brought back in. I can't say I really blame the Secretary of Defense also because... I'm sure that they're shelling out a fair amount of money to keep this program going, and they want to see some results. Yeah, Kate, it costs some astronomical number to even turn the lights on in that place, apparently. That comes up later, though. <laughs> Something like that. Da- Daniel Jackson, of course, being Daniel Jackson, he's like, aren't we explorers? Oh yeah, you are explorers, but yeah, you need to kind of bring back some stuff with us you know he the the secretary of defense is not particularly understanding in that respect yeah that's when o'neill steps right in and says well generally people with advanced technology tend not want tend not to want to share it which is an outstanding point something it's an outstanding point and it actually makes a lot of sense it's something that's ongoing in sci-fi i'm sure stargate's not the first one to come across it we're always looking for new technology, but we don't come across as a particularly responsible species. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're childish. We are slightly <laughs> childish, and people don't want to share really cool things that can blow up really big things with childish race. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely something that comes up in every sci-fi series, I think. Uh, the secretary makes a point that we are still in the same spot that we were at Mission 1 which he's not wrong as far as technology is concerned. He's spot on with that. We haven't brought back anything other than diseases and problems. At that point, Teal, I guess maybe he's getting a little irritated with the fact that it's like, I just want technology. He directly asked the secretary, he's like, what what technology are you seeking? What what do you want? I know a couple of places. What do you want? Right there, when he says, what technology do you seek? Right after he speaks that line, the ominous SG music comes in. So, you know, it's like, ooh, maybe that's a bad idea. But Oh, I'm glad you picked up on that. I missed the music cue on that one. Oh, I caught that. It's like, ooh, that, that's something. Yep. Okay. You know it's All a right. bad idea. We're getting a little dangerous here. Teal reveals that there's a creature on an uninhabited planet that possesses stealth techno- well stealth abilities he could take us to that planet and the du- and the ghouls have been trying to get this stealth they've been trying to procure it for a while with no success unsuccessful unsuccessful o'neill says sounds like a mission to me sounds like a mission to me and then we do the pig squeal <laughs> i have that written down Goes right into the pig squeal. <laughs> so we're on the planet now, which looks suspiciously like Canada. It's another forest planet. That's right. Suspiciously like Canada. Suspiciously like the Vancouver area. <laughs> um, no. Now, this okay. is one that kind of, this was a little weird to me. So O'Neill steps through the gate alone, all by himself. It seems like the rest of the team, like, went through on, like, a 30 count or something because they're everywhere else. 
and he has no idea where anybody is. Yep. He walks through. He's by himself going, what? And when they he calls out, obviously, and they come back and they say they thought they saw something. First of all, you're right. There's no way in the amount of time it took O'Neill to follow him through, they could have gotten that far away. I know, right? I mean, usually they step through the gate together. You know, and go, kerplunk, like one big and, splash. And wouldn't they leave Daniel Jackson behind if that were really the case to say, hey, they ran off that way? I, I'm going to say that that's, that's an oddity right there. But yeah, um, but yeah, Carter and Teal, they, they definitely mentioned that they saw movement as they stepped out of the gate. At this point, O'Neill says um, that, he, that they are using uh, tranquilizer darts to try and take down the creature. That's, that's the plan. Yeah, enough to take down a rhino. I hope this enough thing to take stays. down a rhino or an elephant, whatever they said. And Teok does say that these things hover and they have teeth. So I'm glad they have uh, tranquilizer darts. That's that's a like good a hum- good call. Like a hummingbird. Like a hummingbird, <laughs> a giant hummingbird that's invisible and has teeth. Oh, okay. And um, they look behind them and no Stargate. What do you mean no Stargate? It's gone. It's gone. Completely I hate, gone. I hate it when that happens. And that's the end of the teaser. So, that was a long-ass teaser, I'm going to say. You're right. Some of the they others. Could have, they could have put it in between the gate room and the planet. But they, no, they gave they, us the then planet. It too short. They gave us the planet on this one. And I think that was a fantastic idea because, you know, just that little bit, one minute of that. Yeah. Stargate. What do you mean the Stargate's con? I mean, that's a really great place to end the teaser on. It's like, okay, well, we're not going home anytime soon. I'm in. I'm definitely into this episode. I'm in too. It's like, all right, let's do it. So we end the teaser, and O'Neill is definitely not amused. He is irritated because it's like, well, all right, already this mission is going wrong. <laughs> he shouldn't be surprised by this point, though. Maybe they just need to go through it another 20 times before they realize, well, alien worlds kind of suck. We should expect the worst. Yeah. Anything else will be an up. The team splits up. This time we're going with uh, Daniel Jackson and O'Neill, and Carter is going with Teal. I like how they kind of did that because I believe the last one where the team splits up, it was uh, Carter and O'Neill and Daniel Jackson and Teal. So they. it's usually Carter and O'Neill. I think that, that comes into play a lot later, but... But yeah, I like how they're kind of switching things up here and there. Yeah, you know, these two guys wandering in the forest now. Daniel spots what looks to be a giant, cloaked, large, insect-like buzzing thing. It looked like an out-of-phase blob on the screen. I use cloaked because I'm, you know, I'm the Star Trek guy. I, I see cloaking devices. But either way, yes. Yeah. It, it was a big blob of something that was halfway invisible. You could definitely tell it was there, though. You could tell it was there. And they take aim with the Trank gun. All of a sudden, a staff blast scares it away. Oh, and O'Neill was irritated at Teal. Like, dude, what? That was my shot. What are you doing, Teal'c? No, Teal'c knew the plan. We're using tranks on this. Why would you fire your staff at it? It was not me, O'Neill. <laughs> yes, yes. We know We know Teal'c. It was not you. We go so, O'Neill and Jackson <laughs> go on towards the uh, staff blast, and they spot an old buddy. Good old Apophis. He's back after six episodes now. Oh, yes, sir. Six All episodes. Right. That's Maybe awesome. Five, but He's way. back. He's back in his in his in all his gold splendor. Yep, and he brought plenty of friends with him. He did. He brought his personal guard. Now, I find, it, I find it to be a huge coincidence that he just happens to be hunting this creature at the same time SG-1 decides to do it. And by the way, Teal'c got sent to capture this creature and failed. Why is Apophis on the planet again? Why is he taking such a hands-on approach to this? He's a hands-on type of guy. I believe, you know, something clicked somewhere around Children of the Gods, and he's like, listen, this hasn't been working so far. I need to take a personal approach to this. Okay. I need to go ahead and follow my guys down on all their missions. What a great idea. 
Um, O'Neill and Jackson, they spot, they like I said, they spot Apophis and a bunch of Jaffa. Now, I'm going to bring this up. Um, I'm not sure if you can see it at this point in time, but I do see it somewhere in the next few minutes here. Every one of those Jaffa has gold on their forehead. I didn't catch that. I knew, well, obviously the main one in the shackle. I, I know Shack- he was yep. actually defined as the first prime after Teal'c left. I did not catch that, though. Yep. All of them had gold on their forehead. They all had the gold Apophis symbol. Well, you got a lot of well, they haven't figured it. They haven't quite figured it out yet what they're doing with that gold. But that will be reserved, like you said, for um, only the first prime. The first prime wears gold on their forehead. Everybody else generally wears black on their forehead. Like you said, they haven't figured that part out yet. So, okay, I thought wow. that was kind of neat, though. You know, Cat. early episode. Yeah. SG One has a small little powwow. And when I say powwow, that's one of my favorite words. Jeff will tell you guys. Yeah, Jack um, starts losing it because we oh, need yeah. to do something. Yes. Do He's something. Like, what? As soon as he <laughs> sees Apophis, Daniel Jackson just lights up like a freaking Christmas tree. Oh, man. <laughs> he is mad. He is like, all right, we got to take him down. We got to find out where my wife is. Come on, guys. Let's do this. And then all of a sudden, you can see, well, Jackson actually says this could be our last and only opportunity and that's when you can actually see O'Neill actually almost flips the switch he goes from goofball O'Neill that we're all used to to dead serious let's formulate a plan Teal, what what is the opposition that we're going to be looking at Daniel Jackson he's he's heated now he really he shouldn't uh, they shouldn't be taking any kind of uh, advice he says seriously because well, he's luckily, compromised Luckily, Carter is the voice of reason and says, are you sure you want to be doing this? But They have half their weapons because they left a bunch of their weapons near the Stargate. The Stargate disappeared. So did, so did their weapons. They have just what they have on them, plus a bunch of tranquilizer darts. And they want yeah, to go ahead just, and try and take down Apophis. Could be their only chance. I mean, I, Carter, Carter definitely says if we're going to do this, we need one hell of a plan. So Yeah, I, I'm with Carter on this, and they did not have one hell of a plan. No, after much discussion, we decided let's go and do this, and it fails quite miserably. They do ask Teal'c also, because we know Daniel Jackson, he's all about it. Carter is like, well, this seems like a bad idea. Teal'c says... Between the tranquilizers and his staff weapon, they might be able to do it. Yeah, that's a strong might. That's a strong might. It may be possible, I believe is his words. <laughs> it may be possible. That's a very teal answer there. So they, they find a nice spot to do it. I mean, it's ridge, pathway. They try to ambush them, and it goes completely uh, south. The Jaffa, as they're walking up, one of them notices a boot print, and immediately the surprise bit is out the window at that point. SG-1 attacks them, and it's just, it's a terrible idea, and it goes off really bad. It, it was a terrible plan, it was, and it was executed terribly. Yes, it well, was. O- O'Neill's the first to get shot, right? Yes, he is. I mean, he's kind of the most aggressive. He gets so, out there immediately. My question is... Carter and Jackson both left their cover during a firefight. It's like, what were you planning on doing? Yeah, it just it just went really badly. I I, that, I have no other words for it. Everybody so, did did it wrong. So those three got shot. And it yeah, every one of them. Like they're O'Neal dead. O'Neill gets shot. Carter gets shot, and then Daniel Jackson gets shot, and then Teal'c is about to get shot, and he gets whisked whisked Wait. away. But he and Apophis have a conversation. Apophis calls him a Shovah, which is something we'll have to remember for later. It means traitor. And, and both, Teok, both those things are going to be said later. Shovah exactly. and what Teok says. Exactly. Teok, uh, he's, you know, the I die free thing. He said, he said the Jaffa version of it before that. I didn't write it down because it never comes up again. That's true. Um, I think they just... From that, from then on, they do it in English just to reiterate, so everybody understands. 
But Shova is traitor, and we always hear Shova. <laughs> yep, we still hear Shova. Maybe Shova was just easier to remember. I mean, that does that sounds like traitor. It just it, it, yeah, just the, just the tone that you say it in. It's like wow, that must be traitor. That sounds bad. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so so yeah, says I die free, and he gets teleported away Mop along with all the bodies enough. of SG One. Oh yeah, exactly. Along with the dead bodies, I wanted to make sure you got that. <laughs> Yes, all of them get tr- whisked away. And they all wake up. Well, Jackson wakes up first. Jackson wakes up first. Very dark area. Yes, he does. Looks like he's in a hut. Hut, that's a good word. I had tent. Oh, yeah. See, a tent? You know, a, a tent's the modern version, but yeah, I, I would say. I, I would say a hut had more structure, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Jackson wakes up. He's got, a big, he's got a big hole in his shirt. He's very, very surprised the way be waking up he finds carter and o'neill um kind of in a similar position in the hut they both have giant holes in their uniforms and so far everybody everybody believes weren't we just dead weren't we just dead (laughs) killed as in dead yep they also notice that all of their sidearms are gone and they didn't have much time to really process that because in walks a strange humanoid Yes, in walks the pulpery people. In walks the pulpery man. Uh, that would that would be the Knox, and uh, they gesture for SG One to kind of step out of the hut. Now they don't say a word. Nothing they don't is say anything. There's Correct. plenty of questions from SG One, and the Knox just, like you said, motion them outside. They and keep asking right. about Teal, because Teal's not with them at this point. Yes, there is no Teal'c at this point. Just uh, Carter, O'Neill, and Jackson step out of the hut, and they let's eat some fruit. Yeah, come on over. Have some. Fr- have you seen my friend? Have some fruit. Have some fruit. Well, that's not helpful. So we have some fruit. It's very tasty fruit, from what I understand. Extremely. It looks tasty. That's for sure. Now we are introduced. There's two more knocks, I believe, sitting at the food area. So we're we're up to four knocks. Am I correct? Uh, yes. I believe we're up to four knocks. Four, yeah. maybe th- three or four. One of the two. I don't That's know. Definitely four. I was thinking four or five, but well, we we have we have four knocks total. I know that. All right, uh, then we, we got, got the two. We got the two middle-aged males. We got the younger uh, female, and then we have the male boy. The young boy, yes. And I believe Jackson actually says at this point that the, he, he thinks they're a family. Yeah. Well, they kind of look like a family. Very much so. Uh, I get, I have a, a note here <laughs> that is just, it's, it's gold right here. When O'Neill is trying to describe what happened, he's trying to ask what happened to their weapons. And he doesn't exactly know how to describe it. Yeah, the heavy things. He's like those things. Those those things you found on us, those things you took from us, the big things. Yeah, he leans over so the adult can see him and says, those things you took from us. Yeah, 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 the big things. So yeah, oh yeah, we know exactly what you're talking about. At that oh. point, Teok shows up, finally. He's just kind of stumbles into the village from the woods. Very yeah. random, in my opinion. Where did he come from? And, and never gets explained. He just started, he just wandered in from the woods. Okay. It's just so weird. I, they didn't They didn't feel the need to teleport him where they teleported SG-1. They, they just kind of put him outside the village there somewhere. Or he went for a walk and, you know, didn't tell anybody. That's possible too. But you're right. They never explain it. Uh, the little boy is called Nefreyu. They do mention his name a few times. So he uh, tells Carter. He is the one who speaks the first words from the Knox, and he's speaking to Carter when he tells her his name. Yes, Nefreyu, and then Carter's like, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm Carter. He's like, Nefreyu, Carter. And I swear to God, the look that he has on his face, he looks like he is absolutely in love with Carter. He's like, Carter. <laughs> well, I mean, he's young. It's- she gives she cracks like this huge smile too when he does that. So they're getting along just fine. 
Daniel thinks um, they don't really understand what they're saying when he asks where the Stargate went. But all of a sudden, one of the older males is just like, uh, I will take you to your doorway. Yeah. He just, he just all of a sudden says it. I will yeah. take you to your doorway. Like, oh, you, you do speak. Yeah, O'Neill's like, uh, whoa, what? You know English? It literally took them like a few minutes of listening to SG-1 to figure out English. It took time to learn your speech. It's like, uh, even Carter says, not much, apparently. Yeah, this should have definitely been their first clue to uh, exactly how advanced this race is. Yeah, ding, 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 ding. Wait, ding, what? Ding, ding. So yeah, they took the they took the weapons, and O'Neill is not terribly thrilled about that because he has no idea where they are, and they don't really want to be very forthcoming about that. They actually just tell him the weapons are gone. Yeah, they're gone. I made the assumption that they either made them vanish for good, or threw them back through the Stargate. I guess yeah, talked them back through the gate. That was that my, would be my first that's assumption. What I was going with, but uh, they. So the Knox note that SG-1 attacked first. They they were watching when SG-1 tried to make a run at Apophis. Oh, and the and the reasoning behind it is just classic between O'Neill and I think it was uh, Jackson. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he's, he's a bad. bad guy. He's a bad well, guy, he, right? He, he's bad. And, and the bad. things that he does are very bad. Really? He's a bad, he's bad. guy. Trust us. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I love that banter. So, uh, Teok does mention at this point that he has never seen that personal shield that Apophis put up that made things kind of go, well, that helped things go wrong there on their attack. Yeah, that was convenient to the O'Neill was kind of like, dude, what was up with that personal shield? You didn't want to tell us about that? And Teok was like, I have never seen that before in my life. So, already the ghouls are, th- are showing us tech that we never even knew about. That's a little scary. Oh, yeah. What else haven't we seen? Well, I just figured Teal. Oh, I meant to bring something up earlier, but we'll get back into that. Um, Teal hasn't been gone that long, in my opinion. No, like a few months, maybe. At the exactly. Moment. So I, I just I'm having a hard time going with this one. I am. I am too. It's that's hard to wrap my head around that because Teok was first prime. I would have thought that he would basically seen just about everything the Gould had to offer. But all right, we'll move along from that. Uh, the, the Knox just want SG one to go. It's repeated a lot. A you lot. need to go. You should go. You should they, just they, go. They really meant it, man. They they just wanted them to leave. But why can't we leave? The Knox are also in the process of trying to revive a Jaffa. And they refer to that as your brother. Yeah, they specifically say, because FG1's like, well, why can't you just take us to the gate now then? Because your brother, it won't be revived until later. Yes. And of course, that's like, O'Neill's like, I'm sorry, your brother? And uh, that's when it's like, all right, we we have a Jaffa that you guys managed to take out one Jaffa Good for you, SG-1. They took everybody out. I know. Lovely yeah, plan. Office's personal guard is no joke. Well, they all got gold on their heads. I mean... They all got gold on their heads. They have. They all have the power of first primes, right? Best of the best. Best of the best. Well, I mean, the Jaffa is, have always... thought they had a little bit stronger strength than a normal human. Uh, yeah. Well, you would think so, because they have the immature symbiotes in them. They have, they have better healing. Right? Yes. I, I think they're a little stronger. That kind of makes sense. I'm, I'm not really sure if that ever really gets touched upon. Uh, I was just assumed, I guess. Uh, the giant bugs that are cloaked and buzz around, they're called the Fenry. We figure out that name because the Nox refer to them. And at that point, they say, it's not the Fenry that are invisible. We are making them invisible so that you don't, that so that you, as in you, the collective, everybody who visits this planet, don't hunt them. O'Neill also asks, how how do you defend yourselves? And they do say straight up, they do not defend themselves. They are true pacifists. They do not do any violence whatsoever. And then he says, you must go. Again. (laughs) Again, he says that a lot. 
He does. He wants them off that planet. He's like, dude, you don't belong here. You must go. <laughs> How many more times I got to say? Go. <laughs> so, of course, SG-1 decides to stay. Well, uh, they, um, they don't want Apophis to take out his rage on these people. Now, SG-1 is really worried about the Nox because the Nox seem to be very weak. They don't seem to really care about the fact that this is a dangerous ghoul on their planet. No, they uh, they have no interest in dealing with it. Yeah. No fear, that's for sure. They are not afraid of this at all. Teok, in his infinite wisdom, decides that maybe I should bind up the Jaffa that is recovering. Because, well, if he wakes up and, you know, he could do some damage. I, I do love this part because the... I think it's the younger female was in the... T- yes. The hot well, there is only one female. Okay. Thank you. So the female was in with uh, Teal'c as he was doing it. And she said, why? And he says, when, when he wakes up, I don't want him to hurt you. He deceives you. He's already awake. And she just walks away with that. It's like, yeah, he's already awake. How could she tell? <laughs> You're right. Well, I mean, she can... I guess they have a little bit of... They have a little psychic twinkle, the Nox. Um, yeah. That, it's not really talked about directly, but... Only once. Only once. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a little later Jackson. on in the episode, I believe. Yeah. Actually, it's coming up. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Um, the Jaffa was awake the whole time. Teok, at that point, says that his name is Shackle. Of course, Teok makes a small effort. It's like, hey, you could join us. You know, we're good people. We're good well, guys. Was, him and Shackle knew each other. Teal yeah, him. it was so, like a second in command or something. I think there actually should have been more of a consideration on Shackle's part if the guy who trained him is over here doing this, you know? Yeah. Well, he was very cold to the idea. Super cold. He was like, Apophis is my god. You are a traitor. I hope you die. SG-1 begins to make some bows and arrows. <laughs> and I go, wow. When they go out to test them, I'm, I'm very impressed. Considering yeah, the they have to work with. I think that's an excellent idea. Um, unfortunately, I do happen to, I mean, just, this is just me and, you know, <clears throat> noticing things. The Jaffa and Apophis are all wearing metal armor. I don't think an arrow would penetrate many places in that armor. Gotta aim for the head, I guess. Pray for I think, the- yeah, they actually have a lot of metal on their head, too. Well, they didn't have their helmets up once in this episode. Oh, no, I'm not talking about the really cool-looking snake helmets. I'm just, I'm talking about, like, the they have, like, these metal caps. So does Apophis. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they have them around their bald heads. So, theoretically... Pick up bald people. I'm not going to say they're bulletproof, but they're probably arrowproof. Yeah, wooden arrows at that. There was no tip on those arrows. It was just wood. Okay, good for you, O'Neill. Making some bows and arrows to replace your P90s. Gotta stay busy, right? Gotta stay busy. Well, Jackson was actually out helping out and uh, talking to the elderly Noxman. Yes, he's talking to the more elder of the males, trying to glean some information. And the um, elder's eating tree sap. Yeah, I mean, that could be some really delicious tree sap, I don't know. That's actually because poor guy Jackson harasses the snot out of him with questions. Jackson has two things going for him. He's a very inquisitive fellow, and he wants his wife back. So he's on a mission on this episode. But again, I feel bad for the Noxman because holy questions. Holy questions. But it doesn't seem to be facing him one bit. He's just like, you know, whatever. Nefreyu, he he uh, is talking to O'Neill a little bit. And he doesn't really understand why SG-1 is so hell-bent on violence towards uh, Apophis. And O'Neill explain something to the fact where turning the other cheek just doesn't always work. I kind of like that. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. If you're trying to explain something to a small child, I think that's the best way to go about it. Simple terms. Something they'll understand. I think so. Um, Jackson is, like you said, talking to the older Knox. Uh, his name is Oper. 
and I also, again, had to look it up. I don't know if it was even mentioned in the episode. Not sure that one was spoken. Oprah basically says, knowledge takes time, and he reveals that he is 432 years old. Looks really good, though. And Jackson, yeah, that, that was a nice little line by Jackson. You look great. <laughs> it's about as, the closest thing we get to humor with Jackson some days. So Jackson now knows it's like, well, you're humanoid. And yeah, there's no way you're actually human because, um, yeah, we don't live that long. <laughs> uh, Antius is the other male Knox. He is the more prominent of the two. He's the one who wants us to leave. And he's the one who's always saying you should go. He appears before O'Neill, and he explains at that point that uh, the Nox are the ones that possess the stealth, and it's not the uh, Fenry. Fenry. (laughs) As they thought. The Nox, they hide the Fenry from hunters. And since SG-1 and O'Neill are not really true pacifists, they think that SG-1 is not really much better than the Gould. Because they just see them as somebody who is going to answer violence with violence. Well, that's all we've talked to him about throughout the entire thing. It's like, oh no, we have to save you from this. We're going to go take on these. We're going to go fight these guys. All we did was build weapons. That's another thing that O'Neill is saying. It's like, we're worried that the Gould are going to take you out. They're going to enslave you. Because now they know that you exist. They are aware that you exist, not just, you know, these giant cloaked fuzzy bees or whatever the heck they are. Bees, they're bees now. I thought they were hummingbirds. They buzz. They, they do giant buzz. hummingbirds with teeth. Hummingbirds. Hummingbirds with teeth. Okay. Uh, O'Neill, uh, yeah. Antius, by the way, is not even worried. He is so chill. He's like, what? No, it's fine. It's fine. We'll be okay. O'Neill's not believing it. Our ways have served us a very long time. Yes. Yes. He wants to take Shackle. He wants to take Shackle back with him through the gate. And we'll just ask him a a couple of questions back on Earth, okay? You know, he won't bother you again. No, no. No, Nox aren't having that either. And they're still not worried about Apophis. Even if Shackle gets loose, they're like, yeah, no problem. It'll be fine. Well, the worst happens, and Shackle does escape when Teok is trying to talk to him. Shackle stabs Teok. He kills the Nox woman because she's there too, and he takes off. SG-1 witnesses what looks like some kind of a Nox ceremony when they realize that the female is dead. Uh, They put the female on on like an altar. There you go. There we go. They put her on an altar. But up until now, they had just disappeared. Up until nope. now, we haven't seen the Knox do much of anything other than disappear. As soon as the incident happened, they were nowhere to be found. Right. Until, like you said, we witness it because they're becoming visible and invisible and visible and invisible. Yeah, oh man, they're doing all kinds of wacky stuff. SG-1 doesn't exactly know what's going on. However, they are watching this whole ceremony as well as Shackle. Shackle is watching from the woods. He's seeing the Nox fade in and out, and they see the Nox uh, resurrect Laia, which is the female Nox. Again, had to look it up. That one might have been spoken. I think it was spoken, but I'm, I just wasn't paying attention when it was. I hear you. Antius reveals that the Nox can't stay hidden during their bring back to life ceremony thing. And Antioch, of course, is very quick to point out that that is a weakness. All we get is an eyebrow raise from the other guy. A and weakness. Kind of shrugs it off. If you consider that a weakness, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you know, uh, Antius is like, well, we're hidden again now, so... It's really not much of a weakness. But, exactly. Uh, Nefreyu then appears before O'Neill. He says that he has never seen a ghoul up close. And O'Neill kind of shoes him away a little bit. because He says, you know, you need to go back and hang out with the other Nox. This is not safe for you here. Yeah, you need to go back now. 
However, that was a little bit of foreshadowing because he doesn't go away. Well, he, he, he thought about it for almost a second, I'm sure. He thought about it for a second, I'm sure. Uh, so, Shackle, uh, Shackle is found now by the other Jaffa. Well, O'Neill gets distracted from that whole situation because you hear Shackle yelling. So both sides find Shackle. Okay. So, yes. Uh, he hears Shackle yelling. What is it? O'Neill and I think it's Teal. They peer over the ridge and they see that Shackle meets up with the rest of Apophis's personal guard. Just one serpent guard at that point, actually, because I thought it was the same as you. Yes, it, it was one guard. Yeah. He, you know, he tells the guard everything he saw. And, of course, O'Neill's like, he's telling the other guard everything he saw. And they're going to tell Apophis everything they saw. And he's just like, he's seeing this all happen. And he's like, I wish I could stop it. And I wish the Knox actually cared that this was happening. But they don't, uh, they don't seem to really care. And O'Neill is very worried that uh, the Knox are going to get enslaved now. They try and warn him. They go back to the camp and try and warn him. But again, they, one more time, O'Neill goes back and he he almost begs the Knox. I, I have it written down here to accept help from SG One one more time before the Knox realize Nefreyu is missing now. They kind of, kind of like O'Neill's like, "Hey, please accept our help." You know, you gotta, you gotta understand that they're gonna enslave you. And then Antius is like, "Where's Nefreyu? Where's Nefreyu?" And then we cut to the scene of Nefreyu standing on the path right in front of Apophis. Apophis approaches him with a smile on his face, and we're like, "What the hell is he gonna do?" And he uh, raises his hand with his you know, Gould device. hand device. And we know that he's not about to do something nice. Nope. But he definitely turns on and we cut back to SG-1, I think. Yep. We get back to SG-1 and Antius and they are looking for Nefreyu. And this is where Antius says something very, uh, very wise, I think. He has this line. One too, huh? Yep. That is... The very young do not always do what they are told. That's an important one. That is an important line. Uh, not just for this episode, but I will reveal that this comes up in a later episode as well. Coming up, though. It is in this uh, season. It is. I think. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think so. Okay. Too. Don't hold me to that, though. No, exactly. Uh, Nefreyu is found... Well, dead. Yeah. I mean, they don't say he's dead, but he's, they just, they find his body. He's kind of crumpled and not moving. So we're, we're going to assume that he's dead. Yeah. Especially at this point in the episode when we know we can bring people back to life, it's kind of like assumed he's dead now. Yes. Uh, uh, I do, okay. I don't think that we should skip over this though, that it really plays to how evil. Apophis is that he murdered a child. He murdered a child that he did not even know. I think he lost his conscience a few years ago, man. I'm just saying, you know, some of the other ghouls, yeah, they do have, you know, some some lines, but this guy is straight up evil, I think, for murdering a young child. Yeah, it's a pretty tough one. You, we knew he was evil, so this should we knew he was evil. How evil? He's not a nice guy. But yeah, he's he's bad. He's bad, Jeff. <laughs> Very bad. He's the, thing bad. He the Knox, they don't they don't care. Well, uh, O'Neal, uh, I mean, they pick up Nefreyu and they are gonna start the ceremony again. Well, O'Neill and Carter specifically mentioned, does this feel like a trap to you? Yup. So already that they know that Apophis knows that as soon as they begin the ceremony, they're going to start shooting. But what's so frustrating is that they, I guess the Knox don't seem to be aware of that and they can't make them believe it. So the Knox are going to go ahead and do the ceremony. They're going to be vulnerable and O'Neill is going out of his mind now. He's like, dude, just let us protect you. No, you must go. Yep, and that's when he orders SG-1 out. Yep, 
We're Everybody leaving. out. Let's leave. But of course, as they walk away, they're not they're not that kind of people. They're like, yeah, of course we're gonna. I mean, even though the Knox is saying we don't want your help, we're gonna help them because we're. You have to make them believe it, though. Yeah, you had to make them believe it. Uh, uh, so yeah, they uh, they're gonna go for attack upon Apophis. Take two. So considering now they have zero weapons, except they for have a, they have a bow and arrow, right? Yep, and, and one tranquilizer dart. And one tranquilizer dart, and that's it. To the arrow. We don't even have the staff weapon. Nope, we got nothing at this point. So, I mean, it went so well last time. Sure. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? But you know. But it's almost like they actually decided to have a plan this time. Thank you. I had that written down right here, too. O'Neill comes up with the assumption of an arrow moving slow. Oh, no, that wasn't it. No, but I had that written down. It was like, how how was the first plan so poorly designed? Seriously. It's now like you're burying people in trees and things. This time, it's like, all right, Teok was behind a tree. He whacked a Jaffa with a log. He's out. Had somebody hiding under the leaves, kicked the job by. He was out. It's like this plan was was executed executed awesome. And they would have had Apophis if he didn't vanish. Right. Um, that what, what was that bit that you were mentioned before? I don't think I actually have that in mind. Yeah, I was gonna what when SG1 O'Neill comes up with the assumption of the arrow moving slower than the bullet to penetrate the shield. Which That's is a great I'm assumption. It's like, all right, yeah, maybe it's just based on how much kinetic energy. Well, I have that written down specifically because it should have been a Carter idea to begin with. You're but right. That was really weird. That was an O'Neill idea. It, but it, the way O'Neill describes it, he goes through it, and then Carter says it again in science terms. So you could actually get a feel for the every man I'm dumber than you I'm smarter than you think quality that O'Neill's gonna have throughout the series. <laughs> Pretty much. It, it, he comes up with brilliant ideas and acts stupid. He does. He, he kind of just he downplays himself quite a bit. This might be the first uh, occurrence of this, so it, it's fun every time he does it, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll definitely point that out. All right, so as before we went into that, uh, yes, O'Neill is about to trank. Uh, they take out all three of the uh, his personal guard. He's about to trank Apophis with a bow. He shoots it, and Apophis disappears into thin air. Oof. And obviously O'Neill knows exactly what happened and he's See that wouldn't be obvious to me. That wouldn't I'd be like, was that a ghoul thing? Or was that the Knox doing that their freaking fade out thing again? Oh, that would be the Knox thing. This the, the the gold were there to figure out how the Knox can do that, so it can't be a gold thing yet. I don't know. It's like he didn't know about the personal shield. So it just I don't think that O'Neill should have jumped to the point where it was definitely the Knox immediately. It's like, well, wait a minute. Did he just did he just escape or did somebody help him escape? It had the same sound effect that we've been hearing all episode when he Okay. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'm just saying that I, 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 I would have assumption. assumed quite that quickly that it was the Knox. I made the assumption anyways. <laughs> all right. So O'Neill's pissed. <laughs> he yells. He's like, What the hell? I was about to get him. So they're like, all right, fine. This is a wash. Let's walk back to the gate. They walk back to the gate. It's still not there, but Antius appears. Antius says they sent Apophis back through the gate, and now they plan to bury it, which that's not too surprising. O'Neill worries about uh, ships that are going to bombard the planet from orbit, and the Nox, once again... No, no, I'm not worried. We're not worried about that. All right, let me show you this. I'll show you. i show you. Yeah. Wave of a hand. He At revealed. that wave of the hand, and we see the, the floating city of the Knox. It's a floating oh. city. It looks very impressive. There's lots of decloaked hummingbirds flying towards it. It's really, it's something to see. And the yeah. Freyu appears alive and well. Apparently their ceremony worked. He wants to say goodbye. Um, at this point, where we know now 
The Knox are an extremely advanced race, and they really had nothing to worry about the whole time. They're way more advanced than the Gould. And us. And, um, yeah, Daniel Jackson makes the revelation that, oh, God, we just screwed up because they're going to bury their gate, and now we can never befriend them. Yes. Oops. It was a little bit sad. Um, I think that a more optimistic look on it would be that they consider the Tari to be too young for their knowledge and technology and they tested them and they passed well enough to realize that the Knox were at least able to reveal to them that they are a sufficiently advanced race. If, yeah. they, if they didn't do well at all, then they would have just zipped them back through the gate and... Well, that's what they did with Apophis. Right. So they 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 have different differentiated between Apophis and us. For now. For now. They think that we have a lot to learn, but at least we're willing to learn. Right? Say so that's spot on. I concur. All right. So um, at that point, he opens up the gate. He disappears. The floating city disappears, and uh, I believe it is mentioned one more time that line, the young do not always do what they are told. Now, yep. when he was talking about it the first time they said this line, they were talking about an afraid. Yeah. When he was in the forest, they talked about, because, um, help me out, the, uh, his father, I would guess I would say. Yes. I uh, guess. But he shows up and goes... Hey, O'Neill tries to explain himself. I told him to go home. He's like, yeah, the young do not always do what they're told. <laughs> yep. So it's like, all right, only then does SGN actually realize that they're not talking about young children. They're talking about humans. They're talking about us. We are young and we don't we don't have the knowledge yet to be uh, we're a rate we're a young race that makes mistakes, but we are out there and we are trying to do our best. Yep, that's going to come up again. Yes. <clears throat> Something worth taking home. So that brings us to the end, right? Uh, I do have one other thing that I'd like to say about this episode, and it's probably something that flew under your radar. What do you got? This episode is almost an exact copy of an old Star Trek, the original series episode. You're right. Errand of Mercy. And in Errand of Mercy, it is it is literally the exact situation. The Enterprise arrives at a planet where it seems like the planet is very low-tech and the people are very enslavable. Uh, the Klingons arrive at the same planet. They start to enslave the people. The people don't seem to be worried. Kirk is going out of his mind because these people will not do anything to save themselves. And then lo and behold, it is revealed that they are way more advanced than Klingons or humans. And they don't want any part of either one of them. <laughs> You're both morons. Get out of here before we kill you. I thought that was kind of cool how they, they, they kind of took the same episode and they brought it from the 60s into the 90s. All right, there's inspiration there. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. So I have one thing. I know it came up in a couple of past episodes that we were talking about. It was one year between the movie and the TV show. Was it? Are you sure? That's what I found today. When did the movie come out? Oh, no. I'm talking about in the timeline in the series. I have no idea of the actual. Oh, I got you. So you, mean like the, year. you mean the timeline inside of Stargate? Correct. Okay, that actually, that sounds spot on to me. Yep, me too. But I know we were talking about it, so I figured I'd bring it up. I was looking for something completely different. All right, that's good yep. to know. All right, Jeff, I believe we have reached that fantastic, awesome segment that we always talk about at the end of our episodes. Yeah, already? I believe we have. And that would be, who the fuck was that? All right. This might actually be starting to get to be my favorite part. You have some <laughs> good ones sometimes. 
All right. Well, I have one, and he's uh, he's a pretty kick-ass character. Um, his name is Armin Shimmerman, and he played Antius. And uh, well, I mean, if 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 you like sci-fi at all, you recognize him immediately. That is our own Quark from Star Trek DS9. However, he does a lot of other stuff. Uh, so not only in TV, but in video games. His voice. Yes, his he he lends his voice out. He's a big voice actor. But uh, yeah, as far as TV is concerned, earlier he did uh, Beauty and the Beast, the TV series. He did uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Boston Legal, and uh, a show. Uh, let's see here. It looks like somewhere around 2012. It's called a regular show. But uh, he had a very prominent appearance in that. And he also did a lot of video games. He does a lot of voiceover work for video games. Some video games, which I think you're going to go looking for now, Jeff. He was in nope. World of Warcraft. I know. And missed the in... Pandaria. Yep, missed the Pandaria. He was and in StarCraft right 2. And that right there, the Mr. the Pandaria, was why I'm not going looking for it. I'm not playing through that again. (laughs) (laughs) He was in StarCraft 2. He was in Mass Effect. Um, He had a huge voice appearance in Ratchet and Clank, that video game series. Diablo 3 and Star Wars and Old Republic. Yep. Very prominent. Like I said, I've heard his voice more than I've seen him. Yes, he does. He he is a talker. Um, He wasn't a big talker in this episode, but if you ever watch Star Trek DS9, he plays a bartender and he does a lot of talking. He was the bartender? He's the bartender. Yeah, I don't know the names of the people in Star Trek, but wow, I I watched a few episodes. That's fun. The guy with the big ears, right? The guy with the big ears. He was a friend. See, I know what I'm talking about. You you do. You do. You've been around the block. Yeah, I've seen a few. You got to watch everything a little bit here and there, you know. So I believe that you actually have uh, a guy for this segment as well, buddy. I, I can I can actually go with two. All right, let's do it. I, I felt bad leaving the other guy out, so my first guy is actually Peter Williams, and he plays Apophis. So we'll get to see him quite a bit more. But I came across him, and I thought of you immediately, Kevin. He was in the original MacGyver. All right, nice. Yeah. 21 Jump Street, another one of your favorites. Oh, very good. Now, have you ever seen Neon Rider? I can't say it. that one sounds familiar no. to me. He did all 64 episodes, five seasons of this. And I, I actually had to look it up because I've never seen it either. It's about a teen kind of horse ranch where kids do chores and learn how to be better teens and things like that. That's okay. probably why I've never seen it. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, also in the X-Files, Twilight Zone, and one of the reasons I like him now is because he was in a whole one episode of The Expanse, but that's what I'm watching right now. Outstanding. That's also a really great sci-fi series. I love that. So I'm rewatching it for the fourth time, I think. But, uh, yeah, so uh, that's Apophis. We'll get to know him more as we go through this, I'm sure. Good dude. The friggin' uh, the, the, the kid murderer. Gotta love yeah. him. Yeah, so I got I got a good one here for you, Derry. Uh, sorry, Terry David Mulligan. He's actually Secretary of Defense David Swift. Okay. All right. He was in the original MacGyver. <laughs> nice. Twenty One Jump Street. Look yep. who's talking to. X Files. This is one of your favorites, The Commish. Nice. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was a president in that. In the, that sounds uh, like a cartoon. Uh, it might be, yeah, but it was him. Hmm. I didn't see cool. that one. Nice. One of the reasons I picked him out for this was because he was also in Mystery Alaska. Great hockey movie. I oh, that. I love that movie. Yeah. Oh, uh, Russell Crowe. Yep, yep. Great movie. Great movie. And then uh, Fantastic Four was my other noted one on that. Good deal. Which which uh, Fantastic Four was it? Like the 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 first one there? I think it was the original. I couldn't find much on it, but okay. Good yeah. deal, man. Look at you getting in on uh, who the fuck was that? 
Oh, you just love saying it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good right. thing you've got a good uh, editor. Thank you very much, Jeff. And uh, I think we've kind of reached the end here. I just wanted to toss out there real quick that we do, like I said, we do have a Facebook page, SG Debrief, uh, now. Um, you can reach that through uh, the Anchor or the Spotify portal. And feel free to, you know, drop us a line, you know. If uh, if you think of something that we could do something better or, you know, give us a little bit of feedback. We'd love it. We would definitely love feedback. And uh, I did want to toss it out there again that we were a little bit uh, – a little delayed, you know, through the holidays here, especially now that um, both Jeff and I have the plague. That's probably not so great. But uh, we're going to we're gonna continue to try and do this weekly, and um, we'll be back on track, I'm sure, as January goes on. I would have to concur. <laughs> Glad you concurred. So, um, yeah, everybody have a happy, safe, and fun New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. It's coming up shortly. Like hours, there is. We're hours. actually uh, we're actually recording the episode on New Year's Eve right now, <laughs> so it's coming up very shortly for us. Yep, very shortly. Four hours. But, uh, yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Jeff, and uh, we will definitely see you again back on uh, podcast on the podcast. Sure. I don't know what are you talking about? I don't know. We'll see you. We'll see you again on this podcast. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, have a good one. <laughs>